Welcome to the WorkSmart podcast. Tightening rules on appointed representatives to companies selling to deliver good customer outcomes, announced by the regulator in August, was superseded by the much-anticipated final rules on a new consumer duty that the FCA hopes will fundamentally improve how firms serve consumers, set higher and clearer standards on consumer protection, and yes, that phrase again, deliver good customer outcomes. In this podcast, WorkSmart's Head of Sales, Julian Samels, and award-winning consumer advocate and customer insight professional, Caroline Wells, discuss the impact that final rules on the new consumer duty and proposed changes to the appointed representatives regime will have on TNC schemes and complaint handling. Before turning their attention to the critical role technology, data, and MI will play in demonstrating to the FCA how your firm is, yes, you've guessed it again, delivering good customer outcomes. Julian starts the conversation by asking Caroline what advice she would offer to firms getting ready for the proposed changes to the appointed representatives regime. Consultation came out at the end of last year when the FCA were sending out an awful lot of consultations towards the end of the year. Essentially, the FCA have been looking now for a while at any of us that run a business model where we have appointed representatives. So that can be retail, insurance, investment, basically across the breadth of financial services. I don't think the FCA feels that we've had a tight enough grip on some of our appointed representatives and the way that they sell. And I think the FCA feels that they don't really know enough about our appointed representatives and their background and how good they are at doing the job that they're supposed to do. And ultimately, I think the biggest concern from the FCA at the moment, which links, this seems to really link in with the consumer duty, which is about consumer harm being caused by people taking out the wrong products at the wrong time and not having the right choice as well. One of the main things that the FCA also picked up on was that for some organisations that might work with an appointed representative type environment, sometimes the amount of people that they have as appointed representatives are actually bigger than the kind of the mothership. So there's a real imbalance of power, if you like, and, and I suspect a bit of a black yes. hole around appointed representatives. So if you haven't read it, it's worth having a read, particularly if you're involved in any of those areas where you will have appointed representatives. There's definitely something for us to think about around the systems and controls that we have around knowing who our appointed representatives are and what the FCA might be expecting of us in terms of the information that they're going to want us to provide about our appointed representatives, there's certainly going to be more of a responsibility in our principles. Yes. We're talking a lot about customers, customers that are in vulnerable situations, people who are complaining, but also I think there's a lot there around how do we ensure that all of our appointed representatives are trained to the right level to be able to identify and respond. I think that's going to be one of the key areas. Training's a key part. Because when things are bad, you usually always see a lack of budget for training mm. and a fall off in interest. As a vendor, we've seen a recent upsurge in interest in all things to do with TNC, yeah. which actually for years has almost been unfashionable, but it's coming back with a bit of a bad. It is the consumer duty initiative that's, yeah. uh, that's driving that. Yeah, and I think also just it'll come down to like the practical realities of things like if you're buying sort of online training, it's just like how many licenses are you going to need? If you're thinking about you know looking after the people that are working at, like in that in the central hub, that you've got appointed representatives as well, actually 
the FCA's expectations are, are extending beyond that now. So we've got to think about how do we make sure that our appointed representatives are getting as good as, as full a training and investment as people that we've got on our front line. That's else. a very good point because we, we see a lot of that. That community tends to be ignored mm. when it comes to financial outlay. Mm. And it's really, I think it's been really easy to ignore, but I don't think it will be no. very shortly. No. I have seen some and worked with some businesses who have, have actually sort of almost gone one step further. And I don't know whether this is going to be the next iteration of what the FCA is uh, wanting us to do. But even where they have people who are not appointed representatives, so independent brokers, networks, they're investing time in making sure that if they sell one of their products, they want them to be of a particular level of competency, which is news to some brokers. <laughs> that they might have to kind of like go through the hoops of doing training and you know passing sort of other types of exams. exams. Yes. But there's been a few, um, and this is particularly around sort of the more mature market. So actually release those sorts of things where you need to make absolutely sure that people are going into investments with their eyes wide open yeah. or, you know, like doing mortgages and stuff like that. So they're insisting now that it doesn't matter who you are, or who you work for, you sell our products. We want you to be operating at this standard so that we can be assured that you're selling the right, our products correctly. Uh, I think that's the shape of things to come with the FCA. The new consumer duty <laughs> is bringing a range of implications for firms in ensuring that Customers have delivered good outcomes. So what do firms need to do in preparation for this around their complaints, processes, and specifically at root cause analysis? We've got until April of next year to, to embed everything around the consumer duty. There's a massive thing around um, knowing who your customers are. That's so key. And I think we do a lot of it from a marketing perspective. You know, if you talk to your marketing teams about, who your target demographic is, they'll get really excited and give you loads of information. Actually, we're not so good at having that information about who our actual customers are yes. and what they need off the back of that. And that's something that the consumer duty just completely had running through it, like a stick rock, just all the way through, didn't it? So I think to know what a good outcome is, you've got to know who your customers are <laughs> and what they need to be able to show that you've met it and then root cause analysis, we will not be able to do what we need to do to satisfy the FCA unless we've got really good record keeping. We know who our customers are. We're recording vulnerability. We're recording outcomes in the right way. And also we have good, robust root cause analysis that probably doesn't just focus on what the customer thought was wrong, but also what we found quite often, the way that somebody describes their complaint to us is not what we subsequently find out is the issue. Like I know they talk about British being like, and they, you know, we're a bunch of complainers, but actually we're really bad at it. Like still we're really bad at articulating and all the channels that we were talking about there about, you know, email and web chat and phone and stuff. Actually email is an amazing Amazing invention, but no one actually taught us how to use it, really. So you tend to get a stream of consciousness from people with no full stops in it. <laughs> it's a massive paragraph and it's all a little bit all over the place. And it's harder for people sometimes to articulate what's what's happened. Technology does play a part. Yeah. It, it, it's a bit both. But with root cause analysis, I think a lot of that is about analysing data 
and the best place to keep data is in one system. Yeah. If you can. Yeah. That's not all, always possible, but you can consolidate data from different systems. And when you've got one source of data to interrogate, it's really <laughs> interesting mm. what you can find out. And stuff like trending, mm. what's trending isn't always what you think as an employee, somebody working in a call center or a manager, isn't necessarily what your gut's telling you sometimes. Mm. Sometimes there's some really interesting counterintuitive information. But I think the, it's not to take away from the people element, but to have that as well, yeah. to be able to analyze a good source of data brings up all sorts of interesting yeah. information. You get sort of guilty of chasing numbers. How many beans did we count this week? Oh, we counted X number of beans. Is that more or less beans than we counted the week before? We need to up our rate of beans that we're counting. And it all gets a bit like... <laughs> the difficulty we have is that it doesn't seem to me that there's a lack of data out there. It's how you corral it into something that makes sense and it speaks to people. For me, I needed to say something other than beans. And also it's what you do with that. So it's all very well understanding, you know, what's the root cause of these complaints? Why are our customers unhappy? Are there particular areas? But what do you do with that? Yeah. Well, you can, on a tactical level, you can train your people in uh, the contact center to handle those more correctly. But on a strategic level, really, you want to feed that back into senior director level um, colleagues so that they can actually change the business process to prevent that happening in the first place. Yeah, And everybody knows that, everybody talks about that, but I'm not so sure how many companies in practice actually do that. Well, it goes back to Lauren's point about that's the culture. Number one, it's culture, isn't it? And I think that, you know, when you look at consumer duty, it's more than just complaints. And we've got, oh, yeah. for those who've probably come across it, that whole area of SMCR, senior managers and certification regime, which is about really integrity and, and corralling the culture towards competency within the organisation. Mm -hmm. And as we were saying, with this renewed interest in, in training and competency, yeah. you put that all together and it sort of addresses the, uh, the consumer duty. Mm. arena yeah of which complaints obviously is a, a needful part oh it's a wholesale change isn't it really everything that we've got to think about how we how we go about stuff how we say stuff when we say it it's a bit daunting does it, really does it, I know, it's quite overwhelming I yeah. think particularly you know from the complaints perspective there's like a conversation like how do we know that our letters are working how do we know that actually the work that we're doing on handling complaints is doing what it's supposed to. And there are measures we can have, you know, like how many cases are going to the ombudsman. But, and that's a tip of the iceberg. If a customer doesn't come back and think, thank God for that, that means I haven't got to worry about them anymore. That doesn't mean that they're happy. And it, it doesn't mean that you got it right. It just means they didn't come back. Quiet customers are problem. Well, yeah. Potential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which most of them are. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and how and you know but that's like, about knowing your customers. Yeah. And we know that, you know, in the past we used to sort of talk about retention and you know how much more expensive it is to take on a new customer. <coughs> and it is. But what we've noticed now is a bit of a, a bit of a change of behavior, which is people don't people don't walk off anymore like they used to and go and take out a new product somewhere else. Because to be honest, we're all a bit samey, really. Well, what's the point of difference? And and commercially at the moment, particularly sort of the energy sector, there's not much point in switching if you're not happy, right? So you're stuck where you are. So you just go quiet. 
and you might go and squirrel away and put some money somewhere else instead, you know, but you just, you don't have the same sort of walkway that we used to have before. So the consumer duty is massive. And when it first landed, it, for me, it almost, it kind of completely eclipsed the vulnerability guidance in some ways, because you just think if you, if you work to the consumer duty, you'll meet the vulnerability guidance, Good point. essentially. Yeah. And, and if you meet the consumer duty, you'll do it for your entire customer base, not just one segment of it, which is what the vulnerability guidance looks at. I think it's going to be really, in- I think it's going to be really interesting. I think so. Yeah. And cultural change is an incremental thing and it takes time and it's certainly moving actually more quickly than yeah. I, I would have warranted, Yeah. Uh, which is great. Yeah. And do you know what? We're seeing it in other industries as well. I'm lucky enough to go and sort of work with, you know, like I say, energy sector and, and other utilities. And this is a theme that's occurring in other regulators. We're not being targeted because we're financial services. Actually, a lot of the conversation that I'm starting to hear across different regulators is this, this very sort of similar approach now, which is don't show me that you met the process and tick the box. Yeah. Show me that you got it right. Exactly. And we're having... Exactly the same conversations in different regulators now as well. So if we don't change and other regulated entities do, then that will shift consumer expectation anyway. So we would have to change. At the moment, financial services is in the front. It's leading. It's leading. leading Yeah. And I'm I'm seeing that too. Yeah. You can say education, universities, new regulations coming in about how they handle complaints and are basically upping their game. Yeah. Just a, a reminder also is that, and I'm, I'm sure you, you've all seen it, but we're waiting at the moment on the government to come back on its proposals to change access to ADR schemes. And we've we've already got some signals coming. They've already started making noises about reducing the amount of time that we have to deal with complaints from eight weeks to four. That seems to tie in very neatly with when the consumer duty is proposed in 2023. So like I, I'm not a betting person, but if I were, I think we're looking at the next one to two years where we might see a shift, not just in the regulation around the consumer duty, but, but also access to ADR schemes yeah. and across the UK in different markets as well. And that's sort of harmonising of how long people are, are expected to wait and how long businesses have to resolve complaints, I think completely sings to the conversation that everyone was having earlier about 10 days, you know, two weeks being about the optimum time for, for most things, which would fit beautifully with the new regime if it happens, which I think it might. <laughs> Stay tuned and, and keep, keep an eye out for it. So I've got a question here about uh, consumer panels and what role you think consumer panels could play in helping firms improve the way in which they handle and respond to complaints. So I've seen consumer panels being used in a couple of uh, different businesses, actually, not just financial services. And I've seen them used for different, for different reasons, actually. Everything from the testing of new products floating an idea to see if it's going to work or not, to actually being a bit of a sounding board on customer complaints, sort of a, a mass critical friend, like a group of yes. a group of critical friends, essentially. Less so on that one, actually, but I have seen that. When I've seen them work and work well, it can be like herding cats sometimes, to be honest. But actually the consumer panel can give you some really valuable insight into how you're perceived and how things that, that you intended to work in a certain way 
are completely taken a different way to the way that you intended them to. And I think they could have a really good place in some of the things that we're going to be need to do and show, which is around evidencing that some of the stuff that we're doing lands with our customers. And how do you do that in a way which is operationally sound and manageable? Yeah. Um, the consumer panel might be a way to do that. And this just my ignorance. What form would a, a, a panel take typically these days? Would it be virtual? Would it be a would it be a physical? They used to be a physical, you know, so it made up of, I don't know, anything between sort of 12 or 24 people that would come along and a lot of it's gone virtual now. And one of the biggest, probably most successful consumer panels that I've seen is one that's used by the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute, where it's used a panel of of volunteers, people that, that you know, quite happily put themselves forward to, to share their experiences and for them to grow knowledge from their insights and then use it to set their policies and some of their campaigns as well. And do you know is there much of that done still? Uh, no, no. I think the pandemic really had an impact yeah. on it, to be honest, because we all went into, you know, head down, just get on with day job <clears throat> side of things. Um, but I think there is something to be said for looking at the, the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute's model and what they've gained from it and continue to gain from it as well. I mean, they've got a consumer panel that's something like, I think it's about 10,000 people. Massive, right. massive. But to do something on a smaller scale that would help particularly around consumer duty side of things, I think would be a very insightful, helpful thing. Yeah. Yeah. We've definitely got to be more sort of innovative about how we get feedback from people. We're still seeing an awful lot of this yeah. constant kind of grabbing of feedback from the most smallest of interactions that we're having with businesses. And I'm not sure how much of a difference that makes to the overall customer experience, yeah, exactly. if I'm honest, yeah. compared to some of the richness that you can get from complaints. I know there's fewer of them, but actually that's the kind of the real grunt work stuff that you can get done off the back of yeah. it. So we're going to have to be more innovative because people are getting bored of giving feedback. And so things like, I know, speech and voice text analytics, you know, yeah. is a way of being able to get that sort of sentiment and perhaps some of the more low, the low-lying niggles and frustrations that people have that are nowhere close to being a complaint and don't actually put them off using our service. But if it happens enough times, then it's an issue. So like, how do we get that? gather that information and and then have the right root cause analysis to do something with it. We're going to talk about does data and MI become even more critical in your opinion with the incoming regulations such as consumer duty and, and, uh, and, and approved representatives and the changes that are coming? The investment I think that a lot of businesses have had around sort of you know record keeping systems is very different depending on what part of the market that you're looking at. Some people that I work with are still using Excel spreadsheets and actually complaints teams. It's, it's definitely got better than when I first started, but I still hear the conversations of people really struggling to get the investment. Yeah. And again, that comes back to a cultural piece again, which is that you want the support from your board to understand how important it is that you get the money for, if it's people or if it's investment in systems, because we're, the amount of evidence I think that we're going to be needing to provide to the FCA is way beyond anything we've done before because it's not numbered anymore. 
it's about outcomes. What's really interesting now, I've noticed that in a lot of the consultation documents that the FCA are producing, they now have this kind of grid that they use, which is about the outcomes that they're looking for. So they are giving us a bit of a hint as to what they expect us to be able to provide back to them, because they're starting to do that in their own documents. So it's a good thing, actually, just to look at it from the perspective of how do they describe what the problem is and how do they describe what the good outcome is? And I think we might be able to nab that. And, and of course, the, their initiative over the next few years and the, and the number of millions of pounds they're putting into that whole area of data analysis yeah. to make them more effective yeah. at managing the authorised companies. Yes. So it's, it's only going to get more stringent yeah. as you go along. Yeah. There's two things technology can do. I think Michael Hill mentioned the complexity of some complaints. Mm. And I think there's so many moving parts to some complaints that managing them within a technology solution yeah. de-risks that process. So mm. if you're doing that on spreadsheets and various bits and bobs, the more complex, and particularly if you've got volume and complexity, I've come across companies with both, mm. got volume and complexity, then that uh, risk just increases yeah. out of all proportions. So something's going to fall crack. <coughs> At the other end, if it's just volume, then there may be operational efficiencies mm. to managing that with a technology solution. Mm. But also then, of course, you've got that good MI coming out. If it's volume, yeah. you can get the trending analysis mm. and it'll help you manage your business hopefully better. Whereas I think with the more complex complaints, it's really just making sure nothing falls between yeah. the graph and you, you, you manage it all as a case in a way that can be reported on. You've got sort of two strands, don't you? You've got you need a system that is able to do exactly what you need it to from the regulations perspective, from this perspective. Like you can show when update letters have gone out and that you've done the acknowledgement within a certain period of time and that you met the eight weeks and you know what have you. You've got all of that, and then you've got the extra stuff on top of that, which is a which is all of the thematic MI root cause analysis data that you want to be able to pull out of it. And the other, actually, it's just my experience of selling solutions over the years. It makes life easier for everyone if you can get commitment from the top. Definitely. So the number of sales cycles I've been involved in where you work at middle management because they know what the problem is, mm. what's coming, and that we absolutely need to do this or do that, but you're selling upwards. Yeah. Sometimes it's successful, but sometimes it's thwarted. And there's a lot of time and effort on both sides goes into those sort of engagements. Mm. So I think getting support from the top mm. first can save a lot of people a lot of time internally. Do you think the SMCR, do you think that regime will, could change that? Do you think it could make, make it easier? I'm just thinking for any of you that are looking to try and like get investment, you know, and you're really struggling to get people above you to say yes and you know so, um, do you think do you think that I will make a difference i think the interesting thing with smcr is it touches every senior person in an organization so they are they are they should be aware of the impact on them as individuals mm. their individual accountability and we find if we're setting that type of solution that it does go right up to the top right because as a senior manager you could be personally liable for malpractice or, mm -hmm. you know, or, or any number of things. 
it's an interesting engagement because you tend to end up working with lots of different parts of an organization from risk and compliance to HR to operations to the board can be a long, long process, but it absolutely, you can get visibility off the back of that. So if you're looking at consumer duty and the moving parts, which includes SMCR complaints and training of competency, you probably get senior people's attention off the back of SMCR. Okay. Because it, it has a direct impact on if they're in a regulated mm. financial yeah. organization. Yeah. But we touched on it earlier that actually the complaints teams, the client service teams now can be disparate. Mm. And that has its own challenges. And I would say that plays to technology as well. Mm. It's one thing having everyone in an office. Yeah. But when different people work in different places or across multiple offices, then I think the benefits of technology uh, come to play. It's probably the one thing that holds everyone together, isn't it? It is, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that technology. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think dedicated red tech firms can help companies improve their complaints management processes and, and importantly, deliver better outcomes for consumers? From a very sort of practical perspective, it's about it being accessible. It's, it's about it being accessible and something that that's achievable for people to be able to, to have. And it fits their business models. Do you think technology actually has a, a part to play in developing culture within a company? So not just the mechanics of reporting, and, but actually accelerating the cultural change. Yeah, I think so, because it will give you the information that you, you know, it's, it's harder, isn't it, to try and justify something. When, you know, if, if I ever went into a meeting and went, I've got a feeling, then I'd be sent out with a, you know, a flea in the ear and told, you know, told to go and get the research done. So actually, from, a, from a being able to make change happen, you need to be able to speak a variety of languages to lots of different people, don't you? And, and some of that is about telling stories and some of that is about data and some of it's a bit of both, really. So you, you need to be able to, ha- to have it. I think sometimes, you know, it's more simple than that. I think it's, if you're working in a complaints environment, it's not easy to be in it sometimes. It can be really difficult, really challenging, is that sometimes things like that just show that you're being invested in. And I think that's, that again, culturally, that just speaks volumes about whether the firm is really, is really as committed. You know, like that. So I think there's a lot of kind of like hidden messaging in, in some of the actions that can happen. Thanks, Julian and Caroline, and thank you for listening to this WorkSmart podcast. If you want to learn how WorkSmart software TrackSmart and the core can help your firm manage all the governance and competency requirements demanded by the appointed representatives regime and the new consumer duty, or how CareSmart can manage your complaints and root cause analysis processes also demanded by the new consumer duty, please visit our website, worksmart.co.uk.